0: In the late 1970s, Universal Studios went into development on a film which, when completed and released, would be like nothing horror fans had ever seen before. The development wasn't entirely smooth, which is why it took so long to finally go into production and eventual release. The turning point was when they hired screenwriter Bill Lancaster, whose previous credit was the 1976 film The Bad News Bears, and he had a unique take on what the film should be in tone and tenor. The studio didn't originally agree with him and then the two parted ways, but without much success elsewhere with other writers, they circled back to Bill because he at least had a vision and maybe they could at least start there. The other turning point was when they brought director John Carpenter on board sometime later. Luckily for Lancaster, Carpenter agreed with his vision of the film and then the two went off to develop the idea together working closely with one another on the screenplay. Once they had the script locked down, they went into pre-production development, which is when another pivotal point would happen, when they hired up-and-coming special effects wonderkin Rob Bateen. His vision and concepts would be the final piece to bring it all together, and then in 1982, Universal Studios would release their remake of the 1951 classic, The Thing from Another World, simply titled The Thing, and an instant classic was born. A Remake. A remake that redefined two genres, both science fiction and horror. A remake we all pretty much consider to be the version of the story. Yet, the original film still exists, and many horror fans still watch it today. I watch it at least twice a year. The two are very different and are enjoyable on their own merits. The sticking point for Universal with Lancaster's original vision is that they wanted a direct remake of the film, and Lancaster felt that would be a mistake. Why copy the original? Why not simply use it as the template for something entirely new for a new generation? And he wanted to do that, ironically, by sticking closer to the original novel written way back in 1938. So reaching back 44 years earlier to make something more contemporary as we were on the cusp of the 1980s. And he was right. Remakes are a part of the business. They're nothing new. There are plenty of reasons to do a remake. While, yes, the ultimate reason is money... Sometimes there are also other good reasons, such as that technology has changed to do a better version of a film. So why not evaluate the intellectual properties you currently own and see if any of them would benefit from a contemporary reworking? Like, a lot of people have no idea that the 1956 film The Ten Commandments, the version we all accept as the version of the film with its amazing all-star cast, is a remake. Cecil B. DeMille made the original back in 1923, then made it again once the technology existed to do it even bigger and even better. In 1986, David Cronenberg and screenwriter Charles Edward Pogue unleashed their remake of the 1958 film The Fly. The original is an all-time classic, but the 86 version is an absolutely amazing film, and it again, like The Thing, it raised the bar. It's another instance where both film technology, especially when it comes to Chris Wallace's fantastic special makeup effects, and the everyday science around us changed enough to do the film even better than the original and provide a more informed narrative concerning genetics and genetic fusion, which adds a certain amount of realism and the possibility of the film's events. In short, the world changed, and so did the film. In 1988, coming off their huge success of A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Warriors, Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont delivered a remake of The Blob, and this is another time when the remake surpassed the original. In all of these cases, The Thing, The Fly, The Blob, while the remakes are better than the original, their original iterations were beloved by the target audience they were intended for when they were originally released, who felt a certain amount of dismay when their remakes were announced. One was announced in the 80s that John Carpenter was remaking Creature from the Black Lagoon, Well, people like my mother were asking why the original is great. My generation was excited about the possibilities of what this film could look like in Carpenter's capable hands. Unfortunately, that film never happened. The Hollywood machine does not like uncertainty. Original films from original screenplays offer a certain amount of risk, especially as the costs of making films soar. So the studios tend to look at material which already has proven itself in some way. They look at it as a safe bet. Hence the reason for so many sequels and remakes, especially in the horror genre, because horror films already offer a low risk from their bank account-friendly budgets to their built-in audience. While every generation rolls their eyes at remakes of the films they grew up with, I will say my generation, Generation X, does seem to have an even bigger visceral reaction when they're announced. And part of this likely has to do with being forced to acknowledge that enough time has passed to where the films of our youth are now considered old, like our parents' films. Old enough to be remade, which forces us to acknowledge that we too are getting up there. My generation's in their 50s now, or late 40s, and it kind of feels like that snuck up on us, which I'm sure is the same for every generation. Which this all brings me to the furor of the recently announced Lost Boys remake. Look, the original film is cool as hell. Great cast, great vibe, great soundtrack, but rest assured, that film, the one we grew up with, will never be remade. While the premise and title will be used to make a new film, most certainly, the original can never be replicated. It's most definitely ours and of our generation. It will always belong to us and whoever we choose to share it with. I say this a lot, but I think it bears repeating. Some things exist in their time and place and can never be replicated, ever. And I think that goes for a film like The Lost Boys. Still, it's fair game. Just like The Thing and The Fly and The Blob and The Hills Have Eyes, which is another remake that pays tribute to the original while also being its own very good film. No film is untouchable. It was previously thought that Dario Argento's 1977 classic Suspiria was so unique that a remake simply couldn't be done. Nope. In the 2018 remake, Luca Cuarnino wisely doesn't even try to imitate Argento's film, and instead made his own moody and abstract take to incredible success. I think it's a really great film, and I know his film did cause a lot of people to seek out the original who had never seen it before, causing it to find new fans. I personally love both. There are two very different executions on the concept. And sure, on the flip side, there are plenty of remakes which fail to live up to the original and come off as just pure money grabs. But even those films have their fans. There are people who absolutely love the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. The Friday the 13th remake. The Dawn of the Dead remake, which is a good film by the way, even if I rarely watch it compared to the original, but it's a very good film. But I also think Tom Savini's 1990 remake of The Night of the Living Dead is a great movie. As is the 2000 remake of Black Christmas, even if it took me a while to warm up to it. Now I love it. I watch it at least once a year. The 2019 version? Not so much. I don't even know why that one was called Black Christmas. That one you can definitely roll your eyes at, as it's a complete head-scratcher. And then there's a 2000 remake of Willard. That one is a really underappreciated film. But I'm digressing a bit here, even though the digression is about laying the foundation that not all remakes are bad and some can be quite good, even to the generation who loved the original. So The Lost Boys has been on the remake radar for quite some time. I'm going to say going back to at least 2005, 2006, when we saw a run on remakes. There were some sequels that fell flat. I think one was supposed to be a reboot, but ended up being a spinoff or something. It's been quite the mess as the studio has tried to squeeze more money out of the concept. I think there was even a Lost Girls uh, pitch at one point. This current remake originally started off as a television series concept, and I'm glad that's not happening because the material, vampires and vampire lore, could really become more of a soap opera in a series format, something we've already seen a few times now, and we're going to see again with the announced Interview with the Vampire series. So if it's going to be remade, I think it should definitely be a film or a series of films, which I'm pretty sure is the intent here, because if the early rumors are true, this doesn't sound like a direct remake of the original Currently, it sounds like the primary focus may be on the Frog Brothers, the characters played by Corey Fellman and Jameson Newlander in the original. Which, if I remember correctly, fans have been calling for a Frog Brothers movie for decades. So I suspect what we'll get here is a remake with a different focus, which would be smart. It's a smart way to reboot the film into a viable franchise and also get buy-in from the original fans if they don't feel the original film was being completely torched and reworked, while also getting the film they've been asking for. And I think there's, there's enough evidence, or I should say the studio has enough evidence, that remakes which do not try to mimic the original can be successful and become a complement to the original. As an example, what if I were to tell you that both Suspiria 1977 and Suspiria 2018 are happening at the exact same time? The 2018 film is also set in 1977. When you look at it that way, it's less of a remake and has more of a Rashomon feel. The 2018 version telling the story of someone else's experience happening at the same exact time as the events endured by the character played by Jessica Harper. Did that maybe just blow your mind just a little bit? We should come up with a term for a film that's not a remake and not a sequel. Like, how about a um, <laughs> A story, A story that's happening simultaneously as the original. Look, Scream... Everybody's, I think, favorite slasher movie is eventually going to be remade someday. Probably in about four years, if this final film does well. Jaws, The Exorcist, Scanners, The Fly, I'm sure we'll see that one get another reboot, as once again, the science of the real world has shed new light on the topic. These films will all eventually be remade. Look at your shelf of DVDs. How many versions of Dracula do you have? The 1979 version directed by John Badham and starring Frank Langella is a classic, one of our favorites. Yet, we all still revisit the 1931 Todd Browning version starring Bela Lugosi. Remakes are a part of the business and they always have been. Our reaction to them says more about us than the industry who has never given any other impression other than films while art are also product. And just like 501 jeans, lava lamps, VHS tapes, what's old is new again when revisited at the right time. No one likes to see the things they've loved and considered touchstones sold off for spare parts. And there is no question that the films of the 80s have been getting rated for remakes for a few years now. But look at it this way. The movies of our generation were so bitchin', they can't come up with better ideas.